Translation When the present body turns to dust and is again reduced to five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, the proprietor of the body, the living being, automatically receives another body of material elements according to his fruitive activities. When the next body is obtained, he gives up the present body. So I say, and you can repeat, when the present body turns to dust and is again reduced to five elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, the proprietor of the body, the living being, automatically receives another body of material elements according to his fruitive activities. When the next body is obtained, he gives up the present body. Purport by His Divine Grace, Srila A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami, Srila Prabhupada. This is, <coughs> excuse me, this is confirmed in Bhagavad Gita, which presents the beginning of spiritual understanding. Dehino sminyata dehe kaumaram yavanam jara tata dehantara praptir dirastatra namu yati. As the embodied soul continually passes in this body from boyhood to youth to old age, the soul similarly passes to another body at death. The self-realized soul is not bewildered by such a change. That's the Bhagavad Gita, 2nd chapter, 13th verse. A person or an animal is not the material body. Rather, the material body is the covering of the living being. Bhagavad Gita compares the body to a dress and elaborately explains how one engages, uh, how one changes dresses one after another. The same Vedic knowledge is confirmed here. The living being, the soul, is constantly changing bodies one after another. Even in the present life, the body changes from childhood to boyhood, from boyhood to youth, and from youth to old age. Similarly, when the body is too old to continue, the living being gives up this body and by the laws of nature automatically gets another body according to his fruitive activities, desires, and ambitions. The laws of nature control this sequence, and therefore as long as the living entity is under the control of the external material <coughs> excuse me, external material energy, the process of bodily change takes place automatically according to one's fruitive activities. Vasudev therefore wanted to impress upon Kamsa that if he committed this sinful act of killing a woman, in his next life he would certainly get a material body still more conditioned to the sufferings of material existence. Thus Vasudev advised Kamsa not to commit sinful activities. <coughs> One who commits sinful activities because of ignorance, tamagun, obtains a lower body. Karanam gunak sango yoni janmasu Bhagavad Gita 13.22 There are hundreds and thousands of different species of life. Why are there higher and lower bodies? 
one receives these bodies according to the contaminations of material nature. If this life is what, if in this life one is contaminated by the mode of ignorance and sinful activities, dushkriti, in the next life by laws of by the laws of nature, one will certainly get a body full of suffering. The laws of nature are not subservient to the whimsical desires of the conditioned soul. Our endeavor, therefore, should be to associate always with sattvagun and not indulge in rajagun or tamagun, rajastamo bhavaha. Lusty desires and greed keep the living entity perpetually in ignorance and prevent him from being elevated to the platform of sattvagun or sudha sattvagun. One is advised to be situated in sudha sattvagun, devotional service, for thus one is under for thus one is immune to the reactions of the three modes of material nature <clears throat> once again today's verse when the present body turns to dust and is again reduced to the five elements earth water fire air and ether the proprietor of the body the living being automatically receives another body of material elements according to his fruitive activities. When the next body is obtained, he gives up the present body. Om Jnana Timurinda Shyagananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Unmilitam Jainatasmai Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manovishtam Shtapitam Jainabhutale Swanam Rupakadam Mayanda Dadanti Swapadantakam Panchakalpaturubhyascha Kripasindubhyavicha Patitanam Pavanebhyo Vaishnavibhyo Namo Namaha so, um, in this particular scene, <clears throat> uh, Vasudev is struggling. He doesn't want Kamsa to kill his sister. I mean, uh, which is, happens to be his wife. Uh, so he's putting forth so many arguments. He's trying to appeal to his intelligence, uh, and he's telling them. Uh, that if you do this, there will be some reaction. You know, you will receive this uh, uh, some sinful reaction due to this uh, vikarma that you're about to perform. This is vikarma. Uh, this isn't uh, something that uh, could have any possible good outcome. You see, killing your sister like this is just uh, a heinous activity. Uh, positively, will cause you great suffering. It'll cause you a great reaction. Uh, it's mentioned here the five elements at the time of death the body reduces back to the five elements earth, water, fire, air uh, and ether Uh, does anybody know why they're listed in that order? Hmm? yeah from gross to settle goes from the gross meaning perceived by the senses each one of those elements uh, can be perceived by the senses on a higher level. You see, it gets down to ether. And some people say, well, ether, <clears throat> it cannot be perceived by the senses, which is true. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it is still a, a gross material element. You see, it's space. We can say outer space, but it's space. The only reason it because it's outer is because we're occupying this space. So... So it's out there, it's space. You need space for anything. We need space for uh, 
the microphone takes up space. So, so uh, even more subtle that than that is the mind, and even still more subtle is the intelligence, and uh, even still more subtle is the false ego. So, uh, Kamsa uh, is definitely working in uh, uh, the false ego. He's he's living in the false ego. You see, he's. Uh, uh, concerned about his body, he's concerned about his uh, future, his well-being. He's concerned about his wealth. He's concerned about uh, how will I keep this together? How will I keep that together? Uh, what what will I uh, what will I take next? So much I have taken, so I will get some army together and I will take something else. You see. So he's concerned like that. So this becomes a threat to all my plans that, I'm go- that I have for enjoyment. Now you're saying that the eighth child of Devaki will kill me. So now that's going to impede my plan for my enjoyment because I have my plan. I have this plan to have a great future. There will be monuments erected. You know, they'll have Kamsa, and I'll be standing in different poses. <laughs> You know, some of them I'll be on my horse with my spear, some I'll have my sword. You know, he could envision this is where I'm going because I'm great. I have such a good start. You see. So look at your, you know, look, this is what's going to be denied of me if, uh, if I allow this eighth child of my sister uh, to kill me. So therefore, <coughs> uh, uh, my knee-jerk reaction is that I just I have to kill her. So he grabs her by the hair, and he's ready to he's ready to kill her. You see, so uh, you can see this is these are the uh, uh, the reactions of one in the modes of, of Rajagun and uh, Tamagun. You see, he's uh, in a combination of modes at this point: ignorance and passion. And in, in the mode of passion. We simply have these strong desires. I want this. I want that. Um, it's a uh, uh, it's a mode where we're our desires are burning. It's a lusty mode. You see, so much I have and so much more I want. Uh, and we can see that most people in t- in today's society, they're in the combination of the modes of uh, tamagun and uh, rajagun. You can see the way the whole society is existing. Uh, it's just like this Christmas holiday that just passed. We can see the modes of ignorance and the modes of passion. And so much mode of passion when you're driving or uh, if you go someplace just to find a parking place. Uh, a parking place is just almost impossible. People are running here, running there. I made the mistake the other day of <coughs> going to a store. On Christmas Eve, I wasn't thinking that it was Christmas Eve. You know, I didn't think like that. It was just De- December 24th. I wasn't thinking, oh, today's Christmas Eve. I just had to run and get something. Uh, and I was amazed. I, there's one thing that I wanted to get. Uh, I decided, well, this is ridiculous. I don't need I'll, I'll do without it. I'm not going to stand in line for 30, 45 minutes to get one one item. This is... It was my foolishness. I just didn't think of it. But I can see the passion. Everyone is, uh, even sometimes people, when they open the doors on uh, uh, this Black Friday, sometimes there's a stampede and people are killed. I read last year where there was someone killed at Walmart, you see. So uh, there's a stampede, this lust. 
there's only so many flat screen TVs for this price and I must have one and I'm willing to kill you if I have to <laughs> to get it. This is serious business here. <laughs> you know, you better hope you don't get in my way. But to speak of that parking spot, that's mine. I had my eye on it and the guy backed out and you just whipped right in there. So, you know, it's just, it's craziness in the, <clears throat> the traffic, what to speak. So we see the mode of passion is just, oh, it's echoing, especially this time of year. Now, we say it's kind of odd that people will come out of this mode of passion and they will go to their homes and gather and then all of a sudden we're trying to have some mode of goodness. So, you know, it's been passion all day. I've got to go and I've got to get this sale and I've got to beat that guy into the parking spot and I've got to keep this guy from cutting me off on the freeway and, you know, I've got to get this and I've got to get that. Now I've got to go wrap this stuff and I've got to do this. Oh, I've got to put the turkey in the oven and the yada. So... And then people get together and they uh, somehow or other uh, share some holiday cheer, you see. Uh, as I was <coughs> discussing yesterday in yesterday's class, uh, you know, the, the devotees are so much in the mode of um, uh, pure goodness that it's like, it's like Christmas time all the time here, you see. As a matter of fact, uh, we're taking a little bit of a breather this time of year because we're remodeling, we're refurbishing the temple, you see. So, but even now, it's festive. Uh, just the life of a devotee, it's, it's a festive uh, way of life. It's that we can't tell the difference from so much from one week to the other. Uh, as I said yesterday, sometimes we have bigger holidays. Sometimes it gets even better than this. But all the time, we're uh, in a festive mood, you see. Uh, so many people say when they come to the temple, they can feel uh, peace. That seems to be common <clears throat> when we talk to people. They say, Let's feel, I feel peaceful here. So It's so peaceful. Peace is the foundation. It's the threshold to happiness. Uh, we have to have peace uh, in our life before we can be happy. Uh, so... Uh, when we look outside the door and we see this society that's rushing and running, going crazy and uh, they're obviously not peaceful, we also know that by simple deduction that they're also not happy, you see. Not, we cannot be uh, uh, unpeaceful and be happy. It's not possible. If we're not peaceful, when there's no peace, there's happiness. There's no chance of happiness when there's not peace. <clears throat> so this society that we live in today is so crammed with so much uh, 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 passion and so much ignorance. We see so little motive goodness. We can see why the world is basically unhappy. It's an unhappy world. Um, every time we look at the... I don't see very much good news when I look at the news on... Uh, on my homepage in Yahoo, you know, when you go into the Yahoo to check your mail, you see a blurb of there's something about what's going on, you know, the latest thing. It just never seems like anything very attractive. It's, not, it's, it's so ridiculous, I usually scan the first line and think, oh, this is crazy. So, uh, <clears throat> but 
when one is in these modes of passion and ignorance, tamagun, rajagun, <coughs> he's more, act, more apt to uh, commit sinful activities. You see, it's kind of like a perpetuating thing. Uh, uh, in the mode of passion, one is so lusty for, uh, I'm lusting for this, I'm lusting for that. I want, I want, I want. It, these are emotions that are uh, impossible to fulfill. So from that, one commits sinful activity due to this extreme uh, and ever-increasing desire for more, more, more. You see, so much I have now, it's not, so, it's not making me as happy as I anticipated. So my answer to that is to get more. If I get more, then I'll be happy. It's just upside down thinking. If what you have is not going to make you isn't making you happy now, then more of it is not going to do it either. Huh? If you have a bank account and uh, you add some zeros onto the end, it may make you happy for a moment, but it's that in and of itself is not going to sustain sustain happiness. You see, uh, as we've discussed before, there are so many people, and I read an article uh, last evening. There's so many people who are living their lives now uh, thinking that I, I'm going to have more, more, more. And they uh, sidestep any plans for family life, you see. They're, they're kind of like taking a, um, a life of being single, but just to uh, perpetuate, just to accumulate money. You know? uh, so many ladies I've, I've met in my travels, and they're in their 50s, and... Uh, uh, they're single. They're all by themselves. They have uh, very uh, big jobs. They have so many letters after their name. They have like a whole alphabet after their name because they've got all these degrees. And <clears throat> they drive uh, fantastic cars, have fantastic houses. They have great education, a great job. They're very important, big title, satisfied with their ability to uh, compete in the material world. Uh, and totally alone and unhappy. And I say, well, what happened? I just forgot to, I forgot about me. I just kept on doing this, uh, this career thing. I forgot to get married. I, I never had time for a relationship. And, and so here I am alone. I was completely alone. So I'm taking this yoga course and I'm taking this. I take basket weaving. I do anything. I'll take anything I can just to associate with other people that are, they're also alone. You know, this was in a yoga ashram that was mostly women of uh, the same age, in their, in their late 40s, all the way up to early 60s. And uh, most of them <clears throat> upper middle class, and um, so many of them, and they'd all um, found themselves in the same situation. We're all alone, but we can take yoga together. And they long. They wish I had a son. I wish I had a daughter. I, I'm not going to have grandchildren. You see, and it's not a very pretty thing. But they do have really great cars. When you look in the parking lot, their cars are just fabulous. You know, they're all brand new. <clears throat> Mercedes and, you know, Lexus and uh, BMWs and things like that. They all live in very wonderful homes big houses, even though they live alone. Uh, I was told that most of them own like four-bedroom houses because they can. They go to the, to the greatest country clubs, you see. And then they frequent all the best restaurants. 
generally alone, you see. So uh, if you have a life like that and you add zeros at the end of your bank account, does that make you any happier? Well, if you buy um, two Mercedes, you know, maybe you buy three and maybe you have two houses, you see. Where is the happiness there? And we can see that. We can practically see as we uh, visit with these people. Um, I had a class in Tennessee on, uh, I called it the um, um, Bhakti, the Yoga of Love. And the place was full of uh, upper middle class ladies. This was, it was in a yoga salon. And all of them had like a, a duplicate life. They're all from, all, you know, some were doctors and some were engineers and some were this and whatever, but they all had one thing in common. <clears throat> uh, they, they wanted to prove to themselves and prove to the world that they could uh, uh, make so much money and be so successful. And now they feel their lives completely empty, you see. Uh, so this is the mode of passion. I want more, more, more. I want to... And some people, they work so much, they work so hard, so many extra hours for more, you see. Um, they're, uh, they're not peaceful. Therefore, they're not happy. And because they're not happy, they're trying to satisfy this lack of happiness with more material goods. So <clears throat> they've taken, uh, it's like we come to the, the fork in the road and we take the wrong fork. Now I'm pursuing the materialistic way of life. Uh, and I'm trying to make myself happy. But yet, now after, uh, after doing this, now I have accumulated so much, uh, but I'm not happy. You see. Whereas the devotee, we can see so many devotees who have taken the, the other uh, fork in the road. And we can see that in their lives, their opulence, their material opulence, may not be very impressive. They may only have one Mercedes. No, they don't even have a Mercedes. You know, <laughs> you know some little. You know, you notice the devotees usually wear uh, drive these little Japanese cars. You know, I'm not criticizing. I just happen to observe that. You know, devotees, even when the devotee has a great deal of money, he doesn't spend it. You know, unless he gets in the mode of passion. <clears throat> Sometimes we get in the mode of passion and we've got to have some something big. Then we realize, well, that didn't, that didn't do it. So, uh, But the devotees uh, are not known to be specifically uh, or especially uh, uh, materially opulent. However, you come to the temple and people say, I feel peace. We look in the lives of the devotees and they're much happier. Of course we have our trials and tribulations, but we're much happier than the outside world. Uh, <clears throat> in talking with people who come to visit here on this, uh, for Sunday Feast, they observe, everyone seems to be so happy. Everyone seems to be, so, there seems to be such uh, peace. Let's see. That's because when they walk outside and get in their car, they immediately, as soon as they get in their car, they're in the mode of passion. You see. They drove up in the mode of passion. They got out of the mode of passion and walked into the mode of pure goodness. And they, they noticed such a tremendous difference. And when they leave, they have to go. They get back in the mode of passion. And away they go uh, into the passion and ignorance. 
The devotees are living a different kind of life. You see, we have a whole different process. Um, and we've been talking lately, <clears throat> excuse me, about um, uh, faith. So faith is the beginning. Shraddha, Shraddha is faith. Uh, but faith is something, I find this interesting, because we devotees, we have a tendency to, we get used to being devotees and we, we, don't, uh, we don't understand sometimes the way other people look at things that, uh, that we see. We see things sometimes in a different way. People who aren't particularly very religious, they may see the whole world in a different way. Uh, through a different peephole than we're looking at. Uh, so faith is one of them. Faith is something that um, a, a lot of people in the material world don't understand. Faith isn't something that's extended and it just floats out there, you see. Uh, I guess you could say there's blind faith. <clears throat> the devotee doesn't really understand blind faith. We've lost concept of that because faith is something that is, is, is meant to turn into something else. Faith is something that's the beginning. It's a stepping stone. It's like when you're stepping, climbing a ladder. You, the first step is faith. But it doesn't stay there forever because faith, if you've cast your faith in the right uh, direction, faith will turn into knowing. You see, it's not an eternal thing. You may say, well, oh, I've, I'll always have faith. Well, no, you'll have faith, and then you'll know. And then there's knowing. It's just like uh, I've used the example of um, uh, my son was working on his computer. <clears throat> he had to get inside and do something. And it, I said, do you really think you can fix this? He said, ah, yeah, I think I can. Yeah, I've got faith that I can fix my computer. So he had faith that he could fix his computer. He believed that he could. He'd never done it before, but he kind of had faith that he could do it. He could figure it out. So he took the thing apart and he put it all back together. And it worked. He fixed it. So now he doesn't have faith that he can fix his computer anymore. He knows he can fix his computer. See how that works? So we have faith that... Uh, if I take up this Krishna consciousness, I will get a certain uh, result. I'll get um, some insight into God. I'll become uh, his servant. I get to associate with his other servants. And I'll get some, <clears throat> I have faith that I'll get some realization of this supreme person. And then uh, we get realization of the supreme person. Now, do we have it all yet? No. We don't have it all. But we have enough to where uh, the faith pretty much is already, we've already stepped on the faith. Now we're into knowing. We know. We know where we're going. We know that this works. You see. We know that Krishna consciousness will deliver us uh, to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So we know that. Now, you may say, well, I don't know. I don't feel like I, I know it yet. You know, well, you may not be there yet. That's okay. Just keep on extending faith and keep on um, um, uh, the, the practice of devotional service. Keep on, there's a, I wrote down, I have to write things down because I don't remember things anymore. It's one of the 
one of the problems of getting old and having a feeble brain. You think that's funny, don't you? It's going to happen to you too. Your, your brain will fizzle. <coughs> the thing of it is, I just don't, I don't even know when mine went. I just know it's gone. So, so we start with Shraddha. We start with faith. <coughs> These are the eight sta- stages to awakening pure love of Godhead. And then we go to Sadhusanga. Sadhusanga is association. See? We extend faith that this is the right thing to do. Then sadhusanga. Sadhusanga means I will associate with these other people that are on the, the, the trying to uh, pursue this Krishna. They're serving Krishna. They're on this path. So I will associate with the sadhus. You see. Uh, <clears throat> after some time of associating with the devotees, hearing and chanting, uh, by associating we pick up good uh, habits. We become refined in our devotional service up to the point of bhajana kriya. Bhajana kriya is the initiation. We take initiation from Krishna's bona fide representative. You see, and at that point, uh, we start to get realizations. Uh, by that time, we're getting some realizations, but they're flashy. You see, they come and they go. We're getting little blurps here and there. And a lot of the time we spend uh, uh, maybe engaged in some material activities, material thoughts. You know, we still haven't crossed over to the point that we're, uh, we've uh, given up all our material activities on all our material thoughts and all our material words. So there's a little bit of prajalpa, a little bit of this, you see. But we've become initiated and we're on the path. We're on the, the path of uh, platform of bhajana kriya. <clears throat> Next is nishta. Uh, in the in the nishta stage, stage, where our meditation on our service to Krishna starts to um, mature. You see, it gets uh, and it's not interrupted as much or as often uh, as it was before. You see, instead of being flashy, now the flashes last longer, and the there's less time in between the, the, the times when we're, we're fixed on our service to Krishna. You see, we spend more time hearing and more time chanting the name, forms, glories, and pastimes of the Lord. More time uh, uh, with um, uh, Krishna Kata. Uh, much, much less time with uh, Gramya Kata and talking of material things. You see. So the mind... The words and the activities are become more and more purified. They're becoming to, to the point to where there's very little room uh, for uh, material thoughts, uh, material desires. <clears throat> so it's hardly interrupted so much uh, in the nishta. Then we come to the ruchi stage. In the ruchi stage, the meditation is, uh, 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 or our concentration on our service and our uh, our love for Krishna becomes much, these periods become much, much longer, almost never interrupted by any type of material uh, interruption, distraction. You see, uh, the devotee in this stage is always, uh, always wondering, how can I serve Krishna? How can I do that? Uh, he's starting to lose track of uh, the material world so much. You see. And it's, this, this is a process 
that uh, as you follow, if you follow the process, it matures by itself. However, we have to let go of, uh, of attachment. Uh, and some of us have more trouble. You know, we'll get to the point where we don't want to let go so much. We can feel ourselves becoming so much involved. Our brains are becoming so much engaged in, in this Krishna kata and uh, service to Krishna that uh, we feel like, well, I don't know. You know, I kind of miss being, you know, my, my Gramya kata. And, you know, I want to talk about village gossip a little bit. Still have a tendency once in a while I'd like to get into... You know, some nonsense, some movie or something like that. Still want, so we're hanging on, you know. We're being swept away. The current is sweeping us towards Krishna. But we're kind of hanging on because, gee was I've always been this way. Now I'm going to this new thing. And, you know, this is very nice. This is wonderful. I don't want to give this up, but I'm going to hang on a little bit over here because I don't want to give this up yet. So we're kind of in that back and forth. In the Ruchi stage, you're starting to be really swept away. You're, these material things are being wiped out of your mind. You're not thinking hardly so much about that. Uh, then to Ashaki. Ashaki is deeper and more profound. So it's the Ruchi stage, but even deeper, even more profound realizations. You start to uh, actually uh, understand Krishna's presence. You feel his presence. And you feel Krishna working in your life. You see, deeper and much more profound. Then to the stage of bhava. Uh, in the stage of bhava, the Lord appears. He appears in your meditation. When you're uh, med- in your meditation, when you're chanting, when you're serving, when you're fixed on serving the Lord, you can. Uh, he will. He will immediately appear. You can. You can actually see the Lord. And then to the stage of prema. In the stage of prema, then we're constantly seeing the Lord in everything we do. It's, it's the ecstatic love of Godhead, the ultimate love, you see. So in, in every one of these eight steps, uh, what's improving? Um, the thing that's improving is our love for Krishna, you see. And that uh, it improves, as it improves, uh, our service attitude will improve. Because when you love somebody, you want to serve them, you see. That's why uh, sometimes people will ask. I was going to mention this in class last, e- last evening, and uh, having a fried brain, I forget things. So, uh, but uh, sometimes people say, "Well, what is this?" They they can't put together the reason for service. You know, we're we're talking so much about devotional service. You know, what is it? Are they do they have really good border control in the spiritual world? You know, they can't let in uh, enough people that'll work for minimum wage, so they need lots of servants or something? What is that? We're always pushing this servant, servant. And we have people who are coming to the temple, and they're, they're kind of like, servant? Servant? You want me to be a servant? Well, I have a Ph.D. I have three Mercedes. How many do you have, Mr. Servant? I have servants. I own servants, you know. You see, they have that attitude. So this servant is, is not a good word, you say. We're going to take up devotional service. Ooh, wow, what was that last word you said? Devotional service. Oh, there it is again. Ah. You see, it's a, it's a low class. 
Uh, and the material co concept is low class. The servants are the, they're the lowest, you see. So, uh, but they're upside down. The material, in the material world, things are upside down and backwards from the spiritual world. And they're so, uh, practically speaking, sometimes people want to argue when I say this, but there's practically speaking almost entirely no love in this material world. Now, there are so many things we call love, but, you know, the devotee starts to understand that there's really, you know, when you start to see the love that the devotees have uh, and that Krishna has for, uh, for the devotees, you, see, you can see there's no love in the material world. Yeah. Now, what we, what we consider love in the material world is what I think I can get from you if I do for you. And if you're rewarding enough to me, then I, I, I have some fondness for you because of the enjoyment. You know, I enjoy you. I'm allowing you to enjoy me. And gee whiz, it seems like this was working. You know, whenever I need a, a source of enjoyment, there you are. As a matter of fact, you're, you bring more enjoyment to me than anybody else. So I love you more than anybody. And if it so happens that you think that you get more enjoyment from me, then you love me more than any. Wow, now we have a relationship, you see. Uh, but it's not based on, uh, on love. It's kind of like a, it's a barter thing. I'll do for you, you do for me. You better not stop. You better hold up your end of the bargain, though. Else, you know, you're out of here. I go to the lawyer and... <clears throat> we start some proceedings here, and it's, uh, it's all finished, you see. Uh, but uh, when someone, somebody truly loves somebody, they want to do something for them. Isn't it like that? When you really love somebody, and I don't mean casually love, I mean tr totally love. When you feel in your heart that you just really love somebody, you start to think about them a great deal. You see, they occupy your mind, and you're thinking, what can I do for them? I want to do something to make them happy, you see. So therefore, uh, the proof of, of love, genuine love, is I want to do something for you. I care for you, you see. I want to, uh, I, I just have this desire to do something for you. And so... Um, you know, we figure out, what is this person like? We anticipate. You know, you don't just walk up to them and say, hey, I want to do something for you. What do you want? No, they're going to say, oh, I don't know. That's okay. No, I want to do something for you. Oh, no, no, I want to do for you. you know, so what you do is you, uh, you may study them, their habits, what they do, what they need. You kind of get into their head, get into their life, and you anticipate what it is that they may need. That's the most flattering of all when, so when somebody opens a gift and they think, how did you know that I needed this? I didn't tell anybody, but I, I do. I need this. This is going to help me. Oh, thank you so much. That was so nice of you to... Uh, that means you're paying so much attention to me. That's very flattering, you see. So that's... Uh, uh, or if, if we know somebody likes a particular uh, uh, food, some nice uh, prasadam will make some, a particular dish for them, you see. So this uh, service is the result of feeling love for Krishna, you see. We want to serve Krishna. Now in the beginning, uh, we just know that we should, 
We know that we're, we know that that's what we're supposed to do. We don't really we're not to the point yet where we have this taste. So, but we go through the process. We follow the regulation. The regula we get, become regulated. <clears throat> uh, and as we uh, in the, the sadhu sangha stage, we're associating with other people, and uh, they're all serving Krishna. You see. And uh, we just know it's the right thing to do, and we're feeling good uh, about what we're doing. But then, after a while of doing that, we become, uh, we've developed some attraction, you see. After a short time, we think, this is really nice. This is very wonderful. So now I'm very attracted to this. And then after a while of, of, of being attracted, then we become completely attached. And then we're attached. See, attached means uh, I, I just can't give this up. I'm attached to it. You see, serving Krishna, serving the devotees—it's so sweet. It's so wonderful. It's—it's. It's, it, we start to realize this is who I am. This is what I do. This is what I'm all about. And after some time in that situation, we forget about. Uh, uh, well, I wanted to do this. I always wanted to be. A, I always wanted to be a hang glider. You know, I had all these things I wanted to do. You know, this, we forget it so much about the Gramya Kata. We forget about the attractions to the non-devotional activities. You see, Not, oftentimes people like to talk about. Well, when you become a devotee, I've had people say, "God, you guys have to give up so much." Well, we don't really give up. You see, it's just that it. It's kind of taken away. It just goes away. Once you're engaged in Krishna consciousness and you're associating with other people that are engaged in Krishna consciousness and serving Krishna, uh, you fill your life with so many things that are transcendental, the uh, material things fade away. You know, if you, if you start... Uh, uh, if you start filling this glass with, uh, with water, all the air comes out of it. You know, so as you put more in, something has to go out. So as you put more Krishna in your life, more hearing and chanting, more service to Krishna, the material things will flow. There's no room for them. They flow away. It's, it's not like you have to say, oh, oh, no, I have to give up this, but I guess it's the best thing. You know, there may be some of that, but the best thing to do is just fill your life with service to Krishna. Fill your life with a desire to serve Krishna and his devotees. And after some time, give it time, and uh, you'll be surprised the things that you'll uh, that you've not really given up. They just went away. So, uh, I guess at this point I should pause and see if there's any questions or comments. Yes, Dharma Bhavana. Blind faith, and especially the reincarnation, <laughs> the philosophy that was being explained to Kamsa. And uh, we're speaking to one of our customers recently, and the customer said, well, I, I just don't believe in reincarnation. So I asked, what is your idea? And they said, well, you either go to heaven or hell. And I said, well, if you go to heaven or hell, it means this body is terminated, and you have some other kind of body in order to experience the heaven or hell. So they said, well, yeah, I guess I do believe in reincarnation then. So, so a lot of people have some kind of uh, blind faith they don't really know what they believe in or why they believe in it, nor, nor what the actual circumstances are. But when they hear the philosophy life in our poor poor today, it makes it seem so clear. 
Oh, and thank you for your class, too. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I, I agree. That's a good point. Um, we, we have a situation, we have a world that has so little information on the most important uh, topic. Uh, what will happen to me when I die? You see? And there's very little information. Uh, well, there's very little information about that. So people... Uh, they may argue from time to time. I don't believe in, in reincarnation. However, you made a very good point there. Well, do you think that, that you, if you are this body, you're going to leave this body and go into a body if, if you believe? Let's just say if you believe. Because we believe that when you go to, uh, is it Tamishra, the hellish planet? When you go to uh, Tamishra and you're on this hellish fiery planet, which seems very much like the descriptions in other scriptures of hell, you see, you're given a particular body that will endure this hellish atmosphere, you see. Otherwise, you would be born and you just burn. You just fry to a crisp, you burn up and you're gone. So you have a body that can tolerate that. It's just like if you're born, and some people say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, entities born in water have bodies that can live in water. You know? And now science has, has, has discovered that there are entities that live in fire. They've discovered this. Down in the depths of the ocean where there's uh, uh, volcanic eruptions, it's very fiery there. And there are, there are creatures that live in this, in this heat, isn't it? You see? So there are bodies, even on this planet, in this dimension, that will allow people or entities to live in fire or water, anywhere in between, in the air, on the land, in the tree, you know, whatever. So it's not, a, in our estimation, it's not a real leap of faith to understand the transmigration of the soul. And there's another, sometimes, um, you know, I, I remember when my, I was first introduced to the concept of uh, uh, reincarnation. It was in fifth grade, and the teacher was telling me how stupid the people were in India because they believe in reincarnation. You don't believe you were ever a cow, do you, children? <laughs> no, Mrs. Adams, that's stupid. So it's kind of, she, she wasn't saying in so many words, but it's almost like she was saying, so reincarnation is stupid, right, children? Yes, Mrs. Adams, reincarnation is so stupid. You know, so the, here we are programmed, and we go out in the world, and we're thinking, well, reincarnation is really dumb, you know. You know. Until we meet somebody who's smart enough to say, well, okay, let's forget about uh, reincarnation. Uh, how do you feel about transmigration of the soul? Oh, hey, that sounds really new age. Tell me more about that. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. I think I could get into that. I'd kind of like to be the first one on my block to talk about transmigration of the soul. How does that work? You know, well, at the time of death, we accept another body according to our karma, desires, and aspirations. Oh, now that really sounds right. You see? Do you believe in re reincarnation? Oh, heck no. That's stupid. You see? It's a rose by another name. 
So, yeah, there's programs in the Western world. People are programmed. Uh, Knee-jerk reactions. You know, they hear reincarnation immediately. Uh, what I'm saying is that <clears throat> I don't. Um, I don't want to think about this. You see, I've already I've already thought about it. And I made my decision when I was in fifth grade. You know, so there's no, I don't want to think about that. I, I don't want to think about anything unless it gives me some enjoyment. You know, I want to think about uh, uh, some sex life or some eating, some sleeping, like that. And then I have to think about my job because that helps me with my eating, sleeping, mating. <clears throat> you see, so uh, people don't want to stop and think, you know, to, to take the time to actually consider. You know, it, uh, you've probably been around people, you know, when you start talking a little bit about spiritual life and somebody will say, oh, it's getting pretty deep here. You know, that's too deep for me. You know, so people don't... But there's, it's rare to find someone who wants to get into deep thought. It's very rare. It's very precious to find someone like that. Because there's so many people. They don't want to get any deeper than, uh, hey, how about those cowboys? You know? They, you know? they don't want to get any deeper than, hot enough for you? Boy, they say it's going to get colder. Yeah, it's going to rain too. You know? You get any deeper than that, and they're like, oh, stop it, stop it. Oh, you're giving me a brain ache. No way, you see. <clears throat> it's because they're in the mode of passion, and they're, they're pursuing uh, some desire. Or in the mode of ignorance, they're intoxicated. Or maybe they're intoxicated and pursuing some desire, you know. All I know is I don't have time for that right now, so... But yeah, that's common. I think a lot of people will react like that, you know. And then you could say like one thing, well, yeah, but don't you think you have to be reincarnated to go to hell? Or you're going to be reincarnated, you know, to go to heaven. You're going to take on a heavenly body. It even says that in the scriptures. It's entirely different. It says that in the Bible. From that thing that you sent me the other night, I read a little bit of that. Yeah, so you take on a whole new body. Likewise, if you go to hell, you're going to take. So there is change of body. You know, as a matter of fact, the scientists will admit that we've changed bodies. They used to say every seven years, every cell in your body dies, but now they're saying it's much quicker than that. I, I heard. I think I heard that it was. It could be as quick as two two and a half years. In two and a half years, every cell in your body has died and been replaced. <clears throat> so whereas it may be a very similar appearance when you look in the mirror, it's an entirely different body. Every cell has been replaced. You have changed bodies. You see? I mean, oh, as we get older, we can realize we've changed. <laughs> these bodies, you know, it's not the same body. It's, it, it's not just an older body than when I was young. No, it, this thing has been changed, and you know. So that should be that that should be easy for people to grasp if they can get over the uh, uh, preconceptions. 
Anything else? Any other questions or comments? You look like you've got a question. How do we know we have faith? Uh, we know we have faith when we have a belief. We actually believe. We feel, I, I, I believe that this will be, you see. Uh, it's, it's, it's a belief. You believe it. Uh, lack of faith is doubt. You know, I doubt that this will happen. I doubt that if I chant this Hare Krishna, uh, I, if I associate with these devotees and if I take this spiritual food, I doubt if it will do me any good. I doubt that, there will, that any good will come of it. Rather than, I believe that if I, if I chant this Hare Krishna and if I associate with the devotees of Krishna uh, and take this prasadam, I believe that this is going to be better. You see, I believe that it's the right thing for me to do. So that's ex the extension of faith. Faith must be verified, though. You see, non-believers, non-devotees, those who don't follow uh, a spiritual path, they find it very difficult to believe that we actually get a reciprocation. They, they, they have a hard time buying into that. They don't believe it. They think, well, you're making it up. So they think, well, it's just faith. You're just having faith. No, faith, they don't understand. They've never had faith turn into knowing. So they think, well, you're just extending blind faith. No, I'm not. I extended my faith. It was verified. And now I know. And they're, um, especially in this modern age, they like to pretend that you can't prove that there's the existence of God. Well, you can prove it to yourself. I can prove it to you, but it's going to take some time. You'll have to follow the process. You'll have to extend faith, you see. But it's, it becomes proven. The devotees of Krishna don't think of, of, of Krishna as, uh, well... 99% chance he's there. You know. And the devotees don't think like that. We feel the, re the reciprocation with Krishna. I think anyone that follows a spiritual path with devotion, a bona fide spiritual path with bona fide devotion, will get verification of their faith. They have no doubt, no doubt whatsoever. Not even the slightest. Does that make any sense? <coughs> All right. Yes, Prabhu? I mean, I would like to mention that, uh, you know, when we are actually intera interacting with people and when this topic of faith and belief comes up, I just felt I mean, just now that uh, it's the identity identity threat the per person is perceiving when we are preaching to him. You know, they have had these conceptions for their whole lives and, you know, they just don't want to give it up. They hold it so dear to themselves. It's, it's part of their personality. If they think they're, you know, there's a threat, they obviously they will try to block it and, you know, they don't want to mm -hmm. go any further. 
That's a really good point. Uh, that uh, that reminds me of Karpanya Dosho Pahata Swabhavaha Prichami Twam Dharma Samudha Chaitaha. Arjuna <clears throat> got to that point. It's the, the, the turning point that we all have to come to before we can make any spiritual advancement. We've got to come to the point that I don't really know anything. I can't make the decision for myself. My dear Lord Krishna, in my current condition, I'm losing all composure due to my miserly weakness. I don't know what's it, it, at all what's best for me. So now I'm your disciple. A soul surrendered unto you, please instruct me. You see, we've got to get to that point. Otherwise, if we have this big false ego, well, I am this and I am that. And, I'm, and, I, and, and here I have, I've been all of this life and so many other lives perfecting this false ego, this product that I am. You see? And now here you are, and you're trying to take it all away. I've been convinced that the smartest thing for me, to, the best thing for me to do is to become um, an engineer or some scientist. I've been convinced. I've worked all my life. I've went to school. I've got this big PhD and I've got this and I've got that. And I've been convinced that I have a path that I see and I see an image of me. And that's going to deliver me happiness. And now here you're trying to take it away. You see. So yeah, they'll fight. What you what the devotee does is he he kind of um, he plants like a what do you call it? like a like a virus. It's a spiritual virus. They walk away saying, "No, I don't I don't accept this." I've seen it happen. You but we've all seen this happen. I don't accept this. I, I know you guys have, are having a good life, and this is working for you. But I am, and any time you finish that word, that's, that sentence, I am, with anything other than a servant of Krishna, I'm an, I am a servant of God, then that's false ego. I am a computer scientist. I am a, an engineer. I am a doctor. I am, I am, I am, I am. You see, uh, but they walk away thinking like that. But the virus starts to go around and around in their head. They start to think, "Well, let me think a little bit about this." You know, what if I'm not my body? Maybe I'm not. That, that kind of makes sense. You know, this not my body stuff. And then a little bit longer, you know, then they they may think, "Well, you know, you know, maybe I'm going to read this book that that guy gave me." And a little bit of it, you know. Just read a little of it, because I've got some questions about this. And so they read a little bit. Then they've got more questions, more virus. And then I've got all these thoughts that are going around in their head, you see. And of course, 97% of the time, they've got the material thoughts going on. But then in 3%, then it starts to grow. 5%, I'm thinking of this Krishna. I'm trying to identify, you know, what should I do and how can I serve Krishna? How could I fit in? And then all of a sudden, it grows and grows and grows until you're so consumed with the service to Krishna that now you've only got 3% for material things and you know so yeah so that's what we're up to we're trying to implant this 
And we get this resistance from people. They don't want to give it up. But, you know, we have to realize it's all they have. They don't have anything else. It's a very stark, we're like, it's like we're throwing cold water on them, ice water. And they didn't even see it coming. We've just smashed it all by this philosophy. But I thought I was going to go to college, get my Ph.D., get my job, get married, have 2.3 children, and live happily ever after. That was my plan. And you're saying, well, there's no happiness guaranteed. That, that equation that you just laid out doesn't include happiness. doesn't include peace. Now, some people have a little bit of peace and a little bit of happiness with their material lives. It's true. But until you add Krishna to the equation, there is no happiness. Until you learn to serve Krishna, there is no happiness. Okay? All right, I think we should probably wrap it up. Thank you all so much. Hare Krishna. All glories to Srila Prabhupada.
Hallelujah. 